Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Mayor Christina Byrne has described the proposed downtown recreational area along the Blanchard River as potentially transformative for the city, although some have balked at the multi-million dollar price tag. Also this morning, 30 years ago, State Street Global Advisors launched the first exchange-traded fund, an investment vehicle that has grown into a $9 trillion business. So what are ETFs and who are they good for? And Christian Clearinghouse is accepting donations of all shapes and sizes for their annual garage sale fundraiser. It's a benefit to further the work they do in helping those in need throughout the community. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, February 16th, 2023. 32 days until spring, and how crazy is this weather? Yesterday, we were talking about temperatures in the middle 60s. There's the possibility of some thunderstorms in the forecast today. And uh, what, by the weekend, they're talking maybe some snow flurries. It's just crazy. It's... Well, it's 32 days until spring in Ohio. That's what uh, that's what it is. So Elon Musk is in the news this morning. Did you hear about this? Apparently, uh, he got a little miffed over the weekend and has ordered 80 of the engineers, software engineers at Twitter, to retool the algorithm of the platform so that his own tweets will be more widely viewed. Apparently, he got a little bent out of shape. Uh, This is according to a report on the tech news website, The Verge. Apparently, Elon Musk was annoyed because President Biden's tweet about the Super Bowl received millions more impressions than his own tweet about the Super Bowl. (laughs) And apparently, he was so annoyed at this, so aggravated that he hopped on his private jet and flew to San Francisco to demand answers. (laughs) And by the next morning, uh, Twitter users found their feeds awash in Elon Musk tweets. So if you are on Twitter and you log on only to discover that you're seeing a lot more tweets by Elon Musk than you ever have before, (laughs) now you know why. I don't know how accurate this report is. Again, it's in the uh, on the site The Verge, um, which reports on all things technology. I don't know how accurate it is, but I can certainly see that. You know, I'm, I'd have no trouble believing it. With you know what I mean? That seems <laughs> that seems about right. Elon Musk. Uh, speaking of the uh, Super Bowl, this is the uh, this is one of the ongoing online debates which I thought is kind of interesting, on Super Bowl Sunday. I don't know what you did on Super Bowl Sunday if you were just you know hanging out at home watching the game, if you went to a bar or a restaurant, maybe you went to a Super Bowl party. Some people were flying. They were in the air, and, uh, and so they were watching on the plane. Um, one air passenger decided, and I don't know... Uh, let's see here. I don't know what airline this was, what flight it was, or anything like this. But apparently, uh, online, someone posted a photo or a story about the passenger on their flight that decided to watch the 2005 movie Hitch with Will Smith. <laughs> decided to watch Hitch instead of the big game. Uh, and the uh, the tweet about this that was posted by someone who goes by the handle Brett Hanfling uh, has gone viral, shows everyone on this flight using their personal seatback monitors to watch the Chiefs and the Eagles in the Super Bowl, except for one person who was watching the movie Hitch. <laughs> uh, and, and they just thought, is this person thinks he's too good to watch the Super Bowl? Uh, some people pointed out, well, all he had to do was look to the next seat in either direction. He could have watched both, <laughs> you know, so maybe he was being smart about that. But uh, maybe he wasn't a sports fan. I don't know. Here's the thing. If uh, if it was because he felt he was too good, too highbrow to watch the Super Bowl, couldn't you have picked something better than Hitch? I mean, not that it wasn't a bad movie, but <laughs> I'm not sure if that's... 
the movie I would pick in instead of the Super Bowl. So, uh, anyway, people are weighing in on that. What else is going on among the first things you need to know this morning? Most interesting and uh, buzzworthy stories that they follow up. You remember the uh, story? Uh, this was, oh, golly, several months ago when a gentleman by the name of Doug Ramsey uh, had an incident in a parking lot near Razorback Stadium in Arkansas following a football game where... Uh, let's see here. He busted out the windshield. There was an altercation. He busted out the windshield of a guy's vehicle, punched him, and then bit him on the face. You remember this story? What was crazy about it was because Doug Ramsey is the former CEO of Beyond Meat. Now do you remember that story? He has been sentenced. He has pleaded guilty. Uh, and sentenced to three years of probation, 160 hours of community service, and also must pay a $1,000 fine. Entered his plea in Fayetteville, Arkansas, on Tuesday of this week. So uh, that is his uh, that is his uh, punishment for for that. I just I always uh, thought that was kind of crazy that a uh, guy who is in charge of a company that produces foods for people who don't like meat, bit someone in their face. Isn't that uh, eating meat? Isn't that? Anyway. So not going to jail, but going to uh, uh, three years of probation, 160 hours of community service. So I thought I would uh, share that. Saw it on the uh, Newswire. Speaking of, this is kind of related, I guess. Interest in plastic surgery is on the rise. According to a new survey of plastic surgeons from the American Academy of Facial, Plastic, and Reconstructive Surgery, more people are seeing themselves on Zoom during lockdown, and that, they believe, has contributed to this boost in interest for uh, plastic surgery. Um, 60% of the plastic surgeons in the survey said an increase in disposable income they believe was a motivating factor. 58% of facial plastic surgeons reported an increase in treatments over the past year. Um, most of those procedures, 82% of them, were minimally invasive, things like Botox fillers and topicals. Other popular surgeries included facelifts and eyelid surgery. Nose jobs were the most requested among those under the age of 34. And something called otoplasty which is a procedure to make the ears less prominent, was equally popular among men and women. Apparently, we wanted to get our ears done. I didn't even know that was possible, but I guess it makes sense. You can reconstruct anything, I guess. But uh, I, the bottom line is we just don't like the way human beings look. That's just don't like. We're just not happy uh, with the way human beings look. Isn't that crazy? Uh correct how our ears look and uh how about this uh i love i love this story you've been following the uh just heartbreaking stories out of turkey and syria in the aftermath of those huge earthquakes a syrian refugee turned restaurant owner in tennessee raised over one hundred eighty-eight thousand dollars in donations to help with the relief efforts in his homeland, after hearing about the devastating 7.8 magnitude earthquake that rocked northwestern Syria and southeastern Turkey, killing tens of thousands of people, Yasin Teru sprang into action to help. The owner of Yasin's Falafel House in Knoxville, which, by the way, back in 2018, won the award for nicest place in America in a Reader's Digest poll. Nicest place in America. Um, Yassin traveled from the U.S. to Turkey on a mission to help provide food relief, medical care, fuel, and shelter to those in desperate need. Before he left, he told Good Morning America his motivation was in helping people who have been impacted to keep building bridges of love between different communities. Most of his family is still in Syria, and one of his brothers is in Turkey. Uh, he is currently displaced as a result of the uh, earthquake. Ahead of his flight last week, uh, Taru told reporters 
that a nurse from Knoxville who owns a medical training EMT company also had, uh, was joining him to volunteer on the ground in Istanbul once they have more information and supplies. Upon starting his campaign for donations, he raised 60000 in 48 hours. It's now up to over $188,000 and continues to climb. Isn't that awesome? Just uh, awesome. Uh, blessings to him. There you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. You are WTOL 11 weather. Some rain showers are expected today, a high of 49, a chance of rain or snow showers tonight, a low of 25. The Finley City Schools Board of Education has selected the school district's next superintendent. After an exhaustive search, the board went with Dr. Andy Hatton, associate superintendent for Upper Arlington City Schools. The Board of Education said Dr. Hatton is eager to begin his transition as superintendent and will be visible in the school district over the coming months prior to his official start on August 1st. Get more on the website. The Be Healthy Now Hancock County Coalition completed its community health improvement plan. In particular, we're focusing on access to care, particularly with our mobile health clinic, and also additional transportation services for Medicare, Medicaid patients. We're looking at expanding nutritious food opportunities. We're also significantly looking at our mental health and addiction areas. Zach Thomas is Director of Wellness and Education at the Hancock County Board of Alcohol, Drug Addiction, and Mental Health Services. The Be Healthy Now Hancock County Coalition will be hosting a community forum today at the Health Department. Get more on the website. Rail operator Norfolk Southern will be creating a $1 million charitable fund to help East Palestine residents affected by the train derailment while continuing remediation efforts and monitoring air quality. Norfolk Southern President and CEO Alan Shaw said in a statement, quote, we will be judged by our actions, unquote. He says the company is cleaning up the site responsibly and will reimburse affected residents. Misinformation and exaggerations spread online and state and federal officials continue to say the air monitoring has not detected any remaining concerns. Dave James, I went in news. A new judicial center building is planned for downtown Findlay. The Findlay City Planning Commission approved the site plan for the new facility at 209 West Main Cross. That location between the post office and Corey Street is currently a parking lot. The new building will be home to probate and juvenile court, which are currently located in the building east of that location. Construction could begin in the spring, and the building could be finished by the fall of 2024. See designs for the new building on our website. Remember, you can get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. I think this project is potentially transformational. It is a significant investment in a large area of our downtown. Creates um, a new hub for people to have recreational opportunities and just kind of further supports our downtown area. So I think that that investment is very wise and will eventually pay dividends. Mayor Christina Murren there describing the proposed downtown recreational area along the Blanchard Blanchard River as potentially transformative for the city. Mayor Murren with us this morning. Uh, What do you mean by when you say potentially transformative, (laughs) how so? Well, I think, you know, when we look at how our downtown has evolved over the last probably two or three decades, really, we have seen it become the heartbeat of our community and being able to continue to extend that and make the river be more of an asset instead of a liability, I think allows us to continue to kind of grow the breadth of that. And, you know, I've talked a couple of times about trying to get the University of Finley more plugged into what we, you know, kind of call the downtown. And I think that this making the cross against across against across the river. I can't talk this morning. <laughs> you, you started it without being able to it's say okay. Blanchard. Okay. Going across the river to that north side, I think just kind of, starts moving us in that direction. Some obviously have balked at the uh, price tag, which could be, from what I understand, as much as $40 million. Isn't that commensurate with what the entire mitigation plan has uh, has cost? So completely understand folks' concerns with the price tag. And what I would say to that is that is not our expectation for the final cost. So the projections on the cost for the project from 10 to 40 million right now are based solely off of the master plan that Strand has developed. And they can say, okay, listen, if you put all of these components that are currently presented in the master plan, depending on what level of, you know, um, 
components, materials, structures that you put, it can be anywhere from 10 to 40 million. So we're not going to be putting in marble sidewalks uh, into this park area. So that's really why we need to move to that next phase of refining the design and the components to be able to have a better understanding of what that would look like. So in other words, this is like uh, if you look at buying a car with every single option, uh, this is what the price tag might be. But obviously, then you're not going to do that. Right. It's also saying, you know, are you buying, no, you know, a a Chevy versus a Cadillac as Mm. well, right? You're you're looking at different opportunities. So I, I think that there's a lot of refining that needs to occur. My goal would be that the project would be around, which is still significant, probably $25 million. And that could potentially be phased. It could be, you know, a a chunk of money from the city of Finley along with donor dollars, along with state or federal dollars. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's definitely funds that I think we can leverage to make this happen. I'm not expecting the city of Finley to foot a $40 million bill. on That, however, would mean um, it it would be the quickest way to get that done for the city to write a check. Oh, correct. But that's not necessary. Anytime you bring other people in, you're talking about fundraising and everything, that's going to stretch that out. So what kind of a time frame are you looking at? Yeah, so this project, even if we were to enter into a contract in the next month, which I'm not saying is going to happen, but it gives us an idea. Just for the sake of argument. Yeah, just for the sake of this conversation, the design process process alone, we would be able to six to nine months just to get to the 30% design, which really gives us that kind of meat and potatoes, better understanding of refining it. Mm-hmm. And then it would take to get to 100% or 90% design another 12 to 18 months. Right now, even if we put you know pen to paper and signed a contract, we would not be starting construction in until at least 2025. So what I'm asking for Uh, council to support is entering into a contract to better refine the scope knowing that this is an area we have seen the community say we would like it to be revitalized that we want it to not just be flood mitigation though that is the primary purpose and i'll hit on that more in a minute but that we also want it to usable be usable space when it is not flooded and so to be able to do that effectively and be prepared to go take advantage of some of that outside funding, I would like us to move sooner rather than later. Well, that is the other question is, you know, there's a reason why all of that area was cleared yes, uh, to begin with. And what is the risk of then building uh, anything the, in that area? Yeah, the primary purpose is flood mitigation. That is 100% our goal and the focus of this area. And anything that we put in that area cannot negatively impact the flood benefit and it cannot um, receive significant damage in a flood event. And Strand Associates, the firm that we're utilizing out of Cincinnati, as well as Human Nature, both specialize in designing riverside parks that flood. They were, have done work in Cincinnati. They've done work in Columbus. They've done So we, this is not a new challenge. Um, and that has very specifically been our focus saying, we have to make sure that anything we do there is not negatively impacting the flood benefit. In looking at some of the preliminary drawings and uh, some of the preliminary in information, um, I wonder what would this uh, downtown recreation area add to the community that we don't already have? I mean, for example, you know, we've got walking trails and bike trails, uh, perhaps talking about an amphitheater we already have. Uh, one at Riverside Park. I mean, what would it add? What would it bring to the table that we don't already have in the community? Yeah, so I think you have to keep a, a couple of things in mind. We've we've kind of described this as the living room of Finley. So you have those different parks amenities that are, are vibrant, and we actually went through an assessment with our team saying, you know, what is missing? How do we make sure that we also have amenities spread out throughout the community? And I'm not saying that it's necessarily going to be, you know, a – a park like none other than our other ones. However, I think it is. it also is completely different because it is a conduit through the community and it is a larger space. So the band shell is not going anywhere. That's great. It's a nice shaded area. It's mm-hmm. perfect for those evening concerts. But I also see a potential amphitheater. Again, nothing is set in stone at this point. What has been provided is just a conceptual drawing. Right. And a kind of master plan schematic. That area, I would see, you know, having, you know, events, 
thinking uh, think of some of our larger events being able to be moved off of main street mm -hmm. so that we're not clogging up and shutting down the downtown area for some of those being able to kick off races in that area i think we definitely would still be able to have concert events but it's a much larger area so gary pruitt from the park district heather clo from the performing arts center were both part of the stakeholder conversation so mm -hmm. that was definitely something we looked at um, additionally you know the, the kayak launches some of those other things having proximity to that downtown where you could kayak, right. hop out, walk around downtown, you know, grab a, grab a bite to eat, you know, hop back in your kayak and, and you make your way back up the river or down mm. the river. Right. I think it's, is unique. Given the fact that, like you say, at this stage, we're just thinking big picture mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of the details have yet to be sorted out. Obviously, funding has yet to be uh, worked out. How likely will it be that this actually comes to fruition we've had an awful lot of things in the past that have been proposed from development to i think the university of finley at one point was saying we're going to build a stadium <laughs> uh you know our own yeah. stadium down there and that uh, you know obviously never materialized so again i guess my other reaction to all of this is i believe it when i see it yeah um you know i think from my perspective Something is definitely going to happen in that space. The time, uh, the, the scope of what that looks like mm -hmm. is to be determined. Yeah. But I, I definitely think we're, we're going to be putting recreational amenities in this area. And as I mentioned, it may be phased. It may be a couple of years still. You know, it's going to be a couple of years right. regardless. Right. Um, but I think we need, this is something we heard loud and clear in strategic planning um, and has been an area where, you know, we've been keeping our eye on the entire time we've been moving through flood mitigation. And the fact of the, the, fact of the matter is it's now cleared out. It does provide an opportunity to yeah. do something. And one of the that. reasons that we are uh, having this conversation now as well is that we have been having our consultants uh, be able to talk to Stantec, the engineering firm that's overseeing the flood mitigation work. Mm -hmm. And as they're doing the dirt movement starting next year in the... Um, in that benching phase two benching area, they have said that they're willing to kind of modify the dirt work to our plans. Mm -hmm. You know, again, where we are, we are marrying those up, recognizing. Yeah. So, for example, instead of having kind of cut in square angles, having it more of a flowing, <laughs> you know, minor things. But if we don't have to move the dirt twice that saves money fair point uh as well something to keep in mind uh with respect to all of this really quickly I got about 30 seconds yeah. but i do want to ask you about this uh the other big story we talk about construction uh the uh, new judicial center yeah. uh the uh, site uh plan was approved uh with some conditions um this has been a long-standing debate as to what to do with probate and juvenile court mm -hmm. finally looks like we've got a solution here but the plan was approved with conditions and some interpreted the conditions attached to the approval interpreted that as well maybe the city is not real excited about uh, about this what's your response um the conditions that we put in place were very minor adjustments. Um, the parking discussion was not a condition. They meet the parking requirements per the zoning code for downtown. However, um, since I think my last, last first conversation with the commissioners regarding my concerns on parking was last September, mm -hmm. again with them in December, just kind of wanting a better understanding of how we were going to address parking that was going to be, you know, 200 spots approximately for city and county employees. Um, I know they have a short-term plan at the Performing Arts Center, but we need to be planning and looking forward to, to a long-term solution to make sure that parking in downtown is not negatively impacted. Um, so the city is supportive of the project moving forward, uh, but we need to work together to figure out how we're going to address parking. Again, uh, Finley Mayor Christina Mern with us uh, this morning. Mayor Mern, thanks very much for dropping yeah, by. We appreciate me, it. Appreciate it. Well, it was almost exactly 30 years ago that the first exchange-traded funds launched. And since then, ETFs have grown into a $9 trillion industry. Allison Bonds is with State Street Global Advisors, the firm that launched that first original ETF three decades ago. Allison, for the uninitiated, what exactly is an exchange-traded fund and how do they work? Hi, Chris. Well... An exchange-traded fund, or it's commonly known as an ETF, 
is a basket of securities. So similar to a mutual fund in that they tend to be diversified, but they trade on a stock exchange. So in that way, they're similar to a stock. Um, I like to think of ETFs, helps me remember, by breaking down the E, the T, and the F. So the E stands for efficiency. ETFs tend to be cost efficient. They're typically less expensive than mutual funds. And they're also typically tax efficient. So they tend to distribute um, no capital gains, while mutual funds sometimes can. That's the E. The T stands for transparency. You can see all of the of the ETF holdings on the issuer's website, so they're transparent in that way. And then the F stands for flexibility, and that means that you have the flexibility to trade throughout the day and respond more quickly to market changes. So to me, I think they represent the best of mutual funds combined with the best of stocks. Now, you describe uh, ETFs as democratizing investments. How so? ETFs have democratized investments because it, it they really have leveled the playing field. It doesn't matter how big of an investor you are, how many zeros you have, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, we can all access the same investment strategies at the same cost with an ETF. You and I can access the same ETFs as somebody like Warren Buffett. Um, and not only have they democratized investing by leveling that playing field, But in recent years, they've become even more popular for a couple of reasons. Um, Number one, investors are learning how hard it can be to pick their own stock. I think last year reminded us of that, unfortunately, right? We saw everything from blue chip names to to high-flying tech stocks being down. So picking your own stocks is tricky. And then the second reason is I think investors are also learning it can be challenging to find mutual funds that outperform. It's hard to find a mutual fund that can outperform in one year, much less over the longer term. So I think those reasons are really driving the growing popularity of ETFs. Now, your firm recently put out a study that found investors believe that ETFs have made them not only better investors, but more optimistic for the future. Why do you think that is? Yeah, that study was fascinating. Um, At the end of 2022, we conducted a global ETF impact survey, really to understand how investors were feeling about the market. Because as we said, it was so challenging. It was only the third time in history when you had both stocks and bonds down at the same time. So very rare environment. And that survey showed that more than half of investors said ETFs helped make them a better investor. And 60% of the respondents said that ETFs have improved the overall performance of their portfolio. And when we dug into that, sort of double-clicked there, there were a couple of reasons they indicated. First of all, the respondents said they really valued the diversification that ETFs provide. But maybe most importantly, they valued the F that we talked about, the flexibility to enable them to buy and sell Um, in real time and respond to a changing market environment. Now, again, like we said, what started with one has now grown to over 8,000 different ETFs that are out there. For those who are just getting started, what would you say uh, to someone who's trying to choose the the ETF that would be right for them if this is the way they want to go? Yeah, Chris, you know, 8,000 ETFs. Um, On the one hand, I think it's wonderful that investors have so many choices. On the other hand, I could see that being overwhelming. Right. And so, you know, what we would say is before you buy an ETF, know your objective, really do your homework and know what you're buying, know the underlying exposure, look at the expense ratio, know what you're paying, look for low cost ETFs so you can keep more of what you own. And then finally, I'd consider working with a financial advisor. Um, many financial advisors will have an initial meeting with you to better understand your goals and objectives and, and potentially, you know, they can help you make better decisions. Uh, Again, 
along those same lines, you were talking about some of the differences between ETFs and mutual funds, and many of the things that you mentioned could be seen as either positives or negatives, depending on how active someone wants to be uh, in uh, their own investing, uh, their risk tolerance, um, you know, all of these types of things. What factors would make one better than the other for a specific investor? What should someone keep in mind when comparing ETFs versus mutual funds? Because they each obviously have their place. Sure. They, they both have a place. Um, I think that, again, it, it goes back to, to doing your homework. So when I think about ETFs versus mutual funds, again, I start with the similarity. They both tend to be diversified baskets of securities. But, but then we go to the differences. With ETFs, they're fully transparent. You know, all of your holdings at any time. Mutual funds don't have those same disclosure rules. So in many cases, you know, the top 10 holdings in a mutual fund or, you know, all of the holdings, but they're on a delay. Mm-hmm. Um, again, another difference is that ability to trade throughout the day, have more control over the price that you buy or sell when you're using an ETF. The difference with a mutual fund is that the price that you get on any given day is based on the end of day net asset value. So if you buy a mutual fund first thing in the morning and the market moves one way or another by the end of the day, the price that you're getting is based on the end of day net asset value. Yeah. And then again, ETFs tend to be more tax efficient. They're less likely to pay capital gains and, and mutual funds can pay capital gains more regularly. And, and last year was a, an example where we saw that. Of course, everyone wants to know where the market is headed in 2023. What do you see in the coming months? And I guess as it relates to what we're talking about here, are ETFs maybe a hedge against some of that volatility that we have seen to this point? And some say we are likely to see more of this year. Yeah. You know, where is the market headed? At State Street, we believe the market will continue to be driven, at least in the short term, by interest rates and inflation and how there's responds to those two data points, and then ultimately their effect on corporate earnings. And, you know, the recent data has been mixed, so we expect to see more volatility in 2023. And it's interesting, we asked that question of our survey when we when we did that ETF impact survey, mm-hmm. and the respondents expressed a similar sentiment. Um, nearly two-thirds of the respondents said that they think the volatility in the stock market will continue for at least the next 12 months. So I think if you expect to see continued volatility, that's really where, you know, we'll see investors value that flexibility that ETFs provide and the ability to be more nimble in a, in a volatile or moving market. Again, Allison Bonds is with State Street Global Advisors, uh, the firm that launched the very first original exchange-traded fund that today has grown into a $9 trillion industry 30 years later. Uh, Allison, thanks very much for taking the time. Real quickly, where can folks get more information? You can go right to our website, Chris. It's ssga.com, ssga.com. There's a ton of information about our ETFs, as well as a lot of education about how they fit into a broader portfolio. You may know uh, Beasley Reese. If you're a football fan, you may know the name. He played in the NFL for nine seasons, and obviously, as an NFL athlete, he knows what a toll that that can take on the body. But it was his wife's injury that really drove this point home uh, that uh, with respect to uh, the long-term struggle that a person can face when dealing with debilitating pain. And uh, joining us this morning is Beasley Reese and his wife, Paula. So uh, first of all, Paula, this you had a, a, a knee uh, injury. Talk a little bit about what happened here. Well, many years ago, I sustained um, an injury playing soccer, and okay. just over the course of time, um, you know, I developed chronic knee pain that um, pretty much um, limited everything that I could do. All my activities, I had to curtail all of it. No um, biking, no playing golf, wow. um, everything became so painful, so I then made the choice to have total knee replacement surgery. So, Beasley, I mean, I, I'm thinking, is it nine years in the NFL? Uh, you kind of prepare yourself for the fact that, hey, like we said, it's going to take a toll on your body. You know that. But 
you know, to have it be your wife instead of you. Uh, that was maybe a bit of a surprise. Yeah, that was a, a problem. And um, <laughs> so I, I found out about this option for my wife through a contract that I signed on behalf of the NFL Alumni Association. I was hmm. their CEO for four years. And uh, so a lot of contracts came across my desk. Right. But looking back at my career, the most significant one that I signed was the one with Cacera Biosciences because it helps our players, and in this case, my wife, uh, treat severe pain without opioids uh, being the main point of uh, relief. And we know what's going on with the opioid uh, epidemic Absolutely. in America and around the world, and it's a real problem. So yeah. when I found this option, and I signed the contract probably a week or two, uh, and, and before my wife had already had a scheduled surgery. Hmm. So we set her up with a treatment called Iovera. This is what all our NFL alumni players use now as they face knee surgery and things like that. And it blocks the pain to the point where she was able to really train hard and rehab uh, vigorously because it was less painful. Yeah, because that's one of the things, I mean, you know, Paulo, when you say you opted for a, a knee replacement, that doesn't magically make everything go away. I mean, there's uh, still obviously a pain management and, and so on that you have to do uh, in order to uh, rehab and then, you know, moving forward. It's not like a, a miracle cure in, in that respect. Right. Iovera is a treatment that's um, a non-opioid treatment that you can have done. And as Beasley said, it's... Um, Stops the signal from um, being sent that you have pain, and um, the treatment lasts about 90 days, and it's just exciting to know that you can have um, a non-opioid option that will provide such immediate relief. Um, I had the treatment, and I was able to resume some of my normal activities even before my surgery. How big of a deal, and again, just to reemphasize this, because as Beasley was saying, you know, we are all familiar with the opioid crisis and what can, can come of that if we are not extremely careful. And I think for most of us, we would rather avoid that route if we can. How big of a deal was that part of it for you? That was huge. Um, you know, aside from just the, the surgery and um, just the fear of the pain that I was going to experience um, afterwards, um, I was fearful of um, opioid addiction because right. you know you see you hear about it so often, and yeah. I always um, reference Tiger Woods and what he went through, and um, I was afraid. Um, even after my surgery, I didn't take my medication as prescribed because I didn't want to rely on that for my pain management. But um, the Iovera treatment that I got. Um, it prevented, um, it blocked the signal that I had pain, and I never had pain at the point of my incision. It helped me greatly with my recovery. And Beasley, is that uh, kind of the, the reaction that, uh, that you get from fellow players and so on who have had similar situations? You mentioned this is, uh, you know, basically the, uh, what, the, what the NFL, uh, what former NFL players use now. Yeah, absolutely. And the whole point is rehab. You know, the, the ability to straighten that leg out, pull it back, push it forward, reactivate, get those muscles back firing again. That is, that determines your outcome. The success of your outcome depends on your rehabilitation and how committed and how hard you really worked at it. So, uh, Iovera really helped Paula to do it that way. And that's the reason we signed the contract with the Alumni Association is to put our players who are going through these situations in a position where they can train like they've always trained. Uh, I had uh, a major knee surgery, and the most difficult part of it was strapping up to that machine mm -hmm. and putting putting pressure, you know, sticking your leg out straight with weight on it. Yep. It was just, oh, what a, what a, what a nightmare. Yeah. And Iovera, if I had had that back in the day, uh, I could have gotten through it a lot easier. 
Again, uh, Paula and Beasley Reese uh, with us uh, this morning. Where do we get more information on all of this? For more information about the treatment, you can Google iovera.com. That is spelled I-O-V-E-R-A, iovera.com. Read about it and then talk it, talk it over with your doctor. And um, it's a treatment that I highly recommend um, for chronic pain. We'll link up to it on our webpage as well. Thank you both for uh, taking the time today. We appreciate it. Awesome. 20 years of making mornings good mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. A convict in Bolivia at a maximum security prison in Bolivia tried to escape last week by disguising himself as a sheep. <laughs> I saw that saw that headline and I thought what in the world is this? Uh tried to escape a maximum security prison in Bolivia by disguising himself as a sheep in an attempt to pass by security unnoticed. Jose Luis Casaya Diaz uh, serving a 15-year sentence for homicide, wrapped him wrapped himself up in a sheepskin and then crawled through the grass at the Chanchocoro facility before attempting to break through an external wall to get out of the prison. But Mr. Diaz botched the escape and was caught when prison staff noticed he wasn't in his cell. Photos of his bizarre bid for freedom earlier this month uh, showing him crawling around while wrapped in wool went viral in Bolivia. Uh, The director of the prisons, Juan Carlos Limpias, said Mr. Diaz had taken advantage of inclement weather to mount his foiled escape. I don't know what the uh, weather had to do with it, but it didn't didn't work. (laughs) And it was such... And it was such a genius plan. I'm going to dress as a sheep. They'll never notice me. (laughs) All righty then. Just proof that all of the dumb things don't necessarily happen in this country. Take for this, uh, for example, this story. It comes out of England where a man is now facing prison time for a brazen theft. Police in West Mercia, uh, is that right? About 130 miles northwest of London. Say 32-year-old Joby Poole stole nearly 200,000 Cadbury cream eggs. <laughs> I love Cadbury cream eggs. They're yummy. They're yummy. Uh, and apparently he had a craving. He stole nearly 200,000 of them. Police discovered the theft last Saturday. They say Mr. Poole used a stolen truck with false plates to steal a trailer loaded with about $3,700 worth of the chocolate eggs and other goodies. He pleaded guilty and could be looking at two years in prison when he is sentenced in March. (laughs) Somebody comes up to you on the street and wants to uh, sell you, hey, want to buy some Cadbury cream eggs? Got them going cheap. (laughs) They might be hot. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, this one out of Western Australia, where a uh, tr- a trio <laughs> uh, a trio recently rescued from the ocean um, is now once again in hot water. The uh, three men who claimed that they were fishermen whose boat had capsized are now suspected of smuggling drugs into the country or attempting to smuggle drugs into the country. <laughs> they, they were found out their story fell apart in the days following the rescue when plastic-wrapped cocaine began washing up on beaches in the area. <laughs> uh, so they had these uh, bricks of cocaine started washing up on the beach and uh, someone remembered, hey, didn't we... Just uh, rescue these guys who said they're their boat capsized. Hmm. <laughs> Aristides Avlantis uh, has been taken into custody. Uh, his uh, cohorts, Carl Whitburn and Mate Stepanovich, 
um, are also believed to have been involved. The Australian Federal Police estimates this seizure has saved the community more than $235 million in drug-related harm. $235 million in drugs. All righty then. (laughs) Hey, remember those those guys that said they were fishermen in the capsized boat? I wonder if maybe we should talk to them about this. Uh, More from the international file in the broken news this morning. A Chinese man, Zhu, is the only name that we have in the report. You just referred to as Zhu. Chinese man has been accused of hiding his lottery winnings from his wife and giving them to his ex. Apparently, two years ago, Mr. Zhu won eight and a half million won which is the equivalent of about $1.2 million U.S. currency. But instead of telling his wife about his windfall, he reportedly just continued living his life as, uh, as though nothing had happened. He gave 2 million yuan to his sister and 700,000 yuan to his ex-wife so she could buy an apartment. <laughs> he gave his ex-wife 700,000 yuan but hid it from his current wife. Um, his uh, current wife, uh, I don't know what, how she found out about this, but she actually took him to court demanding two-thirds of what he had hid from her, and the judge ruled in her favor. My guess, and I don't know, the report doesn't say this, but my guess is he now has a second ex-wife. You know what I mean? I know if that happened to me, I would have an ex-wife. I did something like that. (laughs) Uh, We do have a couple of items here from this side of the pond. Domestic broken news. In um, Bloomingdale, Indiana, 26-year-old Austin Bristow, so worried that thieves would steal his car that he decided the only course of action was to burn it, to make it go up in flames. (laughs) Mr. Bristow allegedly told police he didn't want thieves taking his car or the items inside of it, and that is why he set fire to his 1998 Buick uh, earlier this month. (laughs) Well, I guess that would. I mean, who would want to steal it then? Uh, Mr. Bristow was found standing next to the flaming scene when police approached him. The car was fully engulfed as police led him away. It even let off a few tiny explosions. The man allegedly said in reaction to the booms, I hoped the explosions would be bigger. It was later determined he tossed a lit bandana into the trunk of his car after cutting the fuel line and dumping gas and oil all over the vehicle. The police report noted that uh, Mr. Bristow stated that if there if there was nothing left of the vehicle, there would be nothing left to steal. Well, it's hard to argue with that logic, I suppose. He was arrested and initially charged with arson, but then police discovered that he was in possession of drugs and drug paraphernalia, so they have charged him with those crimes as well. That might have had something to do with his decision to burn his car. And finally, in the broken news this morning, uh, this comes out of Louisiana, where a family's doorbell camera captured the moment a pizza delivery offered a sneaky squirrel the opportunity to invade their home. Darian Herbert said she had spotted the squirrel lurking outside her home in Slidell earlier in the day and suspected that the animal was attempting to get inside the house. She said later on in the evening, she and her husband Rodney ordered a pizza. And then before they opened the door, they checked the camera first to make sure that the squirrel wasn't still around. She didn't see the rodent, but when she opened the door, the animal jumped out of its hiding spot and dashed inside the house. (laughs) Of course, that also captured by the doorbell cam. Uh, Ms. Herbert said she ran inside, jumped on a chair and called for her husband to come help. Said the squirrel was eventually uh, 
chased out of the house. Uh, it was a chaotic chase, but they eventually got the uh, squirrel out of the house. Please let there be video of that uh, chaotic chase in the house. I I gotta see that. <laughs> Sneaky squirrel. There you go. Uh, that is uh, today's broken news report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the news. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. And yet another major brand just announced it's halting all social media advertising. The two most overused and abused words in advertising are truth and trust. They are the two most precious commodities for all brands, big and small. As an advertiser, you have to trust your partners to protect your brand's truth using the media consumer's trust. Radio, it's on. This message provided by WFIN. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. Are websites going the way of the VCR and the CD New survey from one poll finds 70% of Americans believe apps are replacing websites. 2,000 U.S. adults in the poll find 26% believe that they could go a year without using a web browser on a computer, just relying solely on apps. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, Maybe one day, I don't know that we're there yet, 69% of those in the survey say they use their smartphone daily, 46% say that they have done a full day's work from their phone. (laughs) Just from their phone. Um, From work to play, our research shows that people are embracing the convenience of apps in all areas of life. This is according to uh, Tony Mockery of Cricket Wireless, commissioned the uh, poll. So what are people doing on their smartphones? 51% shop for groceries. Uh, another 51% say they take photos and videos. Yeah, we all do that. 47% shop for clothes and accessories. 42% complete their tax return on their phone. So uh, make of that what you will. So once again, and this happens every year, Christian Clearinghouse is uh, accepting donations for their annual garage sale fundraiser. This is a big benefit, huge benefit to further the work that they do in helping those in need throughout the community. Tammy Stahl is with us from Christian Clearinghouse. And we say every year, um, did you do this you didn't through the uh, pandemic, right? That uh, kind of put the kibosh yeah, on it for a couple yeah, of years. Yeah, we, we had it set up um, when the pandemic hit. I remember that now. Yeah, it down. Right. That was... That yeah. was traumatic. <laughs> yeah, <I'll laughs> Don't want to do that again. No more yeah. no more pandemic. But back up and running now. Absolutely. And uh, you're going to be back uh, again at uh, at Brinkman's, right? We are at Brinkman's, mm-hmm. and we do thank the Brinkman's yeah. family and everyone for allowing us to do this. You know, I've been at Christian Clearinghouse. This is my 15th year, mm-hmm. and the garage sale was going on before that, so I'm yeah. thinking we're 17 or 18 and years this, out. And this is like the... Is it the biggest fundraiser for you? It is. is it? Okay. it is absolutely our biggest fundraiser. We usually raise about $50,000 on wow. the event. Wow. And um, so it, it's a big undertaking. So the community support is has always been amazing, and we just so appreciate every single donation that comes in the door. Yeah, what's uh, unique about this particular fundraiser is that you uh, ask for the public's help twice. <laughs> we do. Donate, donate uh, items and then come and buy the items. Absolutely, uh, so. but they do. So that, yeah. that's what's the super blessing about it. So right now is the collection phase. Right. So. Yeah, so we'll be out there. I know it's raining today, but people would help unload cars. So if you you know want to bring anything out... Um, Today and tomorrow till noon, and then we start with our regular garage sale hours. Saturday will be until 1, and then we'll be out there 9 to 4 pretty much um, up to the sale time. Okay. And so if you can get things, you know, your closets and cupboards cleaned out now and bring things to us, that would be great. We do not accept adult clothes. Um, And make sure things are in really good repair and resellable. That's the big thing because we don't want to have to spend the money to take things yeah. to the trash. So basically you uh, are looking for anything as people are going through and you know, maybe it's a little bit early for spring cleaning, but I don't know. You got into the mood of that yesterday, perhaps. Uh, so as you're going through and you're thinking, 
hey, I might buy this if I didn't already have it and didn't have a need right, for it. Right, and if so. you don't use it, you know, yeah. if if you really haven't used something for six to 12 months, you're probably not going to ever use it again. <laughs> and if in the time, in the intermediate time between when you donate it and when the sale happens, you decide you do need it, you can come back and buy it back. Absolutely. We, <laughs> we did have that happen. We had a gentleman that donated the his patio set. And his wife came back and bought it. So it was pretty funny. <laughs> I wonder if that was coordinated or just a happenstance thing. But yeah. anyway, there's got to be a story behind that, oh. I would think. Um, so uh, you actually doing the uh, donation collection at at Brinkman's or at your... No, okay. bring, it, bring the items to Brinkman's. Okay. And then we have volunteers out there and okay. we will help unload your car and get things in. And it kind of disappears as soon as you get in the door. And sometimes we'll have people say, oh, I really didn't mean to do that. And it's almost impossible to find things. So <laughs> do make sure you really want to give it to us. <laughs> you mentioned um, adult clothes is uh, something you don't collect. Right. Uh, there are a couple of other things. Uh, like encyclopedias, yeah. um, the old tube TVs do not yeah. sell. Okay. Um, you you know, things like, like I said, if things are just really dated and, mm-hmm. you know, those old, old appliances that have the old cords on them, people don't want those. They're not right. safe anymore. Right. So uh, just kind of bear that in mind. Um, but it, there is a, a little bit of everything that you uh, get in for this. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we get books and we get pictures and knickknacks and uh, bed linens and furniture, baby stuff, toys. Um, household items, sporting goods, um, lawn things. So just a little bit of everything. Uh, lots of like electronics, uh, small kitchen appliances, craft stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of puzzles came in after the pandemic. So there's okay. probably, you yeah. probably still have a lot of puzzles out there, but people really like doing those. So yeah. those are a big seller for us. So everything sells, you know, it just is um, just really amazing um, how we work together and, and get this all set up and get as much stuff in that greenhouse as what we actually get in there. You did mention that there will be people if you've got uh, you know larger items that the folks help you unload, can you pick up? Or? We can. We are at the mercy of volunteers to okay. do that. Okay. So if you have a way to get it to us, um, that that's, w- preferred. that's preferred. But if not, just call the office at 419-422-2222 and we'll um, give you the details on how we can get that set Try up. Try and get somebody out there to, Absolutely. to get it to the... Uh, get it to the sale. Um, so then after the, the collection goes until when? Until the 11th, March okay. 11th. And right. then we are going to have our Velvet Chandelier event on the 16th. Mm-hmm. So that's a pre-sale event. And those tickets are $50. So if you want to come in and shop without the crowd, that's the time to do it. It's 6 to 8 p.m. out there at Brinkman's. And we usually sell out on that event. So if you want a ticket, um, come out and get one. And you can get those now. You can get those now. Those are on sale now. Mm-hmm. And then the actual garage sale is March 18th from 830 to 4. And then everybody asks, when's bag day? That's the 19th from 1 until 4. Okay. And we give you the Meyer bags. And they're going to be $10 this year to fill up a bag. But you can get a lot of stuff in a bag. So the so the sale itself is a month away, is exactly a month away yes, from the, yes. uh, from the uh, Velvet Chandelier uh, event, uh, opening event. So plenty of time to make the donations and get that all uh, taken care of. And then I know, as you were kind of alluding to, it is uh, yeoman's work to kind of organize it and get everything ready. So. Right, right. And, you know, one other thing I want to mention, um, you know, the needs are many. Last month we did 455 requests in the office. So we are seeing a lot. And I was, um, we are up to like $50,000 more going out for food costs this year Mm. as compared to previous years. So we all know what it's doing at the grocery store. And we don't want anybody in the community to be hungry. And that's what your donation supports. It's helping people in this community um, avoid emergencies, you know, whether it's a prescription or staying in their homes or um, with food or whatever it takes. So please know that your donation is going to a worthy cause and we are really um, using the dollars to support local residents here in Hancock County. 
Um, again, if you want to make a donation, easiest way, just swing on by uh, Brinkman sometime. Again, is going on, collections going on Pretty for the next time. month. Yeah. Uh, and again, what are the hours that you're going to be there? Yeah. So, so the next couple of days, just nine to noon, okay. that's through Saturday. And then next week will be nine to four and the Saturdays are nine to one. Okay. And that's through March 11th for the donations. And uh, again, kudos to uh, everybody who helps to make that happen. Make Absolutely. The collection Our happen. volunteers, you know, and Brinkman's, um, everybody just out here supporting us. Uh, we just so appreciate it. And every donation that comes in the door, you know, if you're bringing us a book, we're getting a dollar out of it. So just, you know, think yeah. about all those things. If you're bringing us five books, that's five dollars. They we all can add make. up. Yeah. So please um, look through your things and see what you can do and see if you can help us out and circle the dates on your calendar for next month for the uh, actual garage sale oh yeah itself. please come shop that's the that's the beauty of it <laughs> we will uh have have you back in to remind folks when we get a little bit closer and kind of go down some of the uh, treasures that you collected but now is the uh, collection we've got more information on our webpage at goodmornings.net and again tammy stall with christian, christian clearinghouse uh with us this morning Tammy, thanks very much for dropping by we thank you so much And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. And that, of course, is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, a closer look at the problem of teen dating violence, how to talk to your kids about the warning signs and what to do if they see them. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.